Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K-12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators, like Jamie and Tom, often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever, perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Studdard. And I'm here today with Tom Studdard. We are doing our second hostful episode, giving you an opportunity to get to know the background that we all bring to this episode or to this podcast, I should say, before even we introduce the rest of our guests for the season so that you know the different lenses that we have. So Tom, would you please get started today by telling us a bit about your background in education? Yeah, thank you, Jamie. And quote unquote, thanks for having me on the podcast. So anytime, every time, no problem. (laughs) It's, it's sort of funny. I knew from the time I was a little boy that I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, My grandmother on my mother's side was a teacher. In fact, she was my fifth grade teacher. And I wanted to be just like her. You know, my mom and my dad went off to work every day, but my grandmother went off to school every day. And I loved school. I was one of those like nerdy kids who loved school. And I enjoyed playing school at the detriment of my little brother and all of my friends, I'm sure, who just wanted to play army men. I was like, nope, we're going to sit in these desks and we're going to learn math after school, which you know was no fun for a, a four-year-old or six-year-old. Uh, So when I went to college, and I think most of you know, I went to Arizona State, so go Sun Devils. I I went into the teaching program. It was a a given. I was going to go into the teaching program. And I knew right away I loved the collegiate atmosphere. I had some fantastic advisors, role models, and mentors who I still keep in touch with today, who are people that would help me make the shift, uh, make the decision to, sh- decision to shift towards higher education and particularly student affairs. I remember as a freshman living in my residence hall, sort of learning about the concept of student affairs from our assistant hall director. She was our advisor to our hall council and I thought this was the coolest thing ever and couldn't imagine that that was a real job as I'm sure most of you in student affairs thought when you were in college as well. But I was an RA, I was president of the Residence Hall Association, I was involved in student government, I was involved in the Student Alumni Association, I was involved in planning homecoming, and I was a student athlete. So when I graduated from my undergraduate experience, I took on a role immediately in housing because that was my background. I was an RA and president of RHA and I thought residence life, that's where it all happens, that's where it all starts. I know for a fact that when I was a student in the residence hall, that made my experience whole. It's why I'm such an advocate of of students living on a college campus their first year, because I feel like you learn so much about who you are and and the skills necessary to be a sort of a self-surviving human, a self-thriving human. 
So I took a role right out of college as an area coordinator, but it was an interesting role because it was combined with a role as a coordinator of student activities. And it was at a small private university in California. And that is actually where I met Jamie at California Lutheran University. I did that for about two years. And suffice to say, I knew residence like was not going to be what I wanted long-term. I loved being an RA and I loved being an RHA, but I didn't like the discipline side of residence life. And so, but I did really enjoy the other aspect, which was student activities and orientation. So I went back to ASU where you know, my alma mater, I, I, it was a hard transition for me to leave ASU, which you know, at the time had about 40,000 students and go to California Lutheran University, which at the time had about 1,100 students. So I went back to ASU and I worked in admissions. And my first job there was recruiting high ability students. And I loved that. And during the summer, I got to work with the orientation program. Then I made the jump to advancement. I went to work at the ASU Alumni Association and I was the assistant director for university traditions. And I oversaw homecoming and student relations. And What's interesting about this role is my favorite undergraduate advisor and mentor to this day, somebody who still works at ASU, had that same role, and it was my advisor when I was a student. And so when I went through the process and got the job, it was like almost full circle. It was like truly a homecoming, planning homecoming, because I had planned it as an undergraduate student. I remember looking through files when I arrived at the office that had my name on it from when I was a student. And that was sort of both eerie and, and, and almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy at the same time. Is that when you were trained about what color chalk that you need to use? Yes. For all of you who don't know, you must use white chalk on a street uh, when you're lining up for a parade, because if you use color chalk, it disappears with the lines on the street, which was something that Amy and I had to make sure our students knew about. Apparently, um, it's harder to remember than you would think. Than others. <laughs> so, you know, I did that for a few years. You know, I was not only in charge of, of university traditions, but I also was in charge of student ticket sales for football and men's basketball. I planned all the pep rallies. I planned halftime. I planned the student, the student section giveaways. So I was doing what I loved. I didn't even think of it as a job. Here I was doing things for my undergraduate alma mater that I did when I was a student. It was literally like I just was a grown-up student. I got to go to every football game. I was on the field. It was just, it was, it was like living my best life. Uh, But I also realized that I wasn't going to be able to do that for the rest of my life because it was also taxing. I would be, you know, I, I slept on campus during homecoming week. I had to be at football games six hours early and stay till the very end. And it was, it was just taxing even as a, as a young professional. So I made a jump and uh, I went to UNLV as somebody who oversaw student activities, large scale welcome programming and Greek life. I did that for a little over two years. UNLV was a relatively young campus. They were only 50 years old, which in the grand scheme of things is a young campus. And I got to, to really innovate there. I got to do new programs and new activities that had never been heard of before that I had done at other schools. And so it was a, an opportunity to really build my skills in innovation and build my skills in creativity. But I also knew that I really loved the orientation world and I loved the welcome activities world. And so I applied for a job at the University of Southern California in late 2005, uh, sort of a, on, a, on a hope and a prayer, thinking there's no way in a million years, I, you know, this, this kid from, from Texas who went to the largest public university and then is now working at another, you know, large public university, whatever, in a million years, get a job at 
this quote unquote elite school, uh, but I did, I got it. And I was the director of new student orientation and I stayed for almost eight years. I was the second longest serving director of new student orientation at USC. And not because I couldn't find another job, it's because I didn't want to leave. I loved working there. I loved being in charge of orientation. I still have that really exciting feeling that happens at the time of, you know, schools opening in August, even though I'm not on a college campus anymore, I still love that, that, that feeling that, that happens when school starts and sort of goes back to being a nerdy kid who loved to play school. I did that for eight years. I got my doctorate at USC and I think like a lot of us in student affairs, we think, okay, well, we got our doctorate. So it's time to take that next step. And so I did. And, and, and there's moments that I regret that because I, I don't know why I felt the need to leave USC because I, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, but I chose a job and, at a university in Texas as an assistant dean of student development. The good news is I still got to oversee orientation just in a different way. I wasn't planning it. I was actually the speaker at the welcome ceremony now. Uh, but I got to continue doing a little bit of what I loved. And, and I was returning to Texas, although not anywhere near where my family lived. But, you know, I, I, I knew and understood Texas. And so... And I did that for a couple of years before officially making the pivot out of, out of education. Very cool. And I, you sort of glossed over this a little bit, but I do think we need to reflect on the fact that, okay, you're good with kids. Like I've seen it. You know, I have two. We were in Hawaii at the beach and you were fun with the kids and stuff. But I don't know if you would have really liked teaching large groups of children all day long. I feel like you and I might have both been like not destined for that in our future. Yeah, it's funny when I look back at even when I was student teaching, I student taught eighth grade, eighth grade civics at McKamey Middle School in Tempe, Arizona, go Tigers. I loved the planning aspect of teaching. I loved mm. doing the outlines for the curriculum and setting up my lesson plans and and getting the bulletin boards ready for, you know, what, a, how a bill becomes a law. I loved that aspect of teaching. And I loved being up in front of the kids doing the, doing the lesson. What I was not good at was doing that eight times a day. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, as, as you know, in middle school, you know, the kids rotate around and you teach the same subject, uh, you know, to eight periods a day. And I thought, I can't do this for the rest of my life because there's no way I will be able to give the same energy. I knew that the first period and the second period students got a lot more of me than the seventh mm. and eighth period students. And part of it is, you know, I was a student teacher, so I was also still in school, but I, I loved that aspect of, of teaching. I just knew that the impact that I could make was going to be different at the collegiate environment. And, and Jimmy, you're right. I love kids. Like I have nieces and nephews and some that are, are technically related to me and some that are, aren't that call me Uncle Tom. And I love the opportunity to play with them. Like I just got back from Hawaii where I got to play, you know, in the sand with your kids and a colleagues of mine brought her two little ones and they call me uncle Tom and we went swimming together. And I love that. But I, I think I knew early on in my undergraduate career that I was probably going to be better at the collegiate environment, planning leadership activities and university programs that connected students to a sense of alma mater than I was, you know, teaching how the Supreme court makes decisions. <laughs> Fair, fair point. And I do think, you know, a thread that uh, that stays with me too is this idea of impact and what kind of impact do you, you want to be able to make and that it's different. It's just going to be different and yours is going to be 
I'm looking forward for you to share, you know, like the, how you, what you're currently doing and, and how you feel about the impact there and how it aligns with your, your why. But to that point, if you can now share, what have you been doing since you left education and what is your current role? Yeah, so I made the decision to leave higher education in 2015. And I'm going to do a shout out to a couple couple people here that I that should be listening. And if they don't, we're going to have to have words. My friend, Chrissy Rodriguez, who currently works in Texas at a nursing school, and her friend, Shannon, we went to Austin the summer of 2015 to do a, a, a run together. It was the Wipeout run. Uh, full disclosure, I was on the TV show Wipeout. And so uh, when the Wipeout decided to do a Wipeout run in various cities where they had these sort of obstacle course runs, Shannon and myself and Christy all went to Austin to do that. And I arrived to, to the Airbnb prior to my friend Christy and met Shannon for the first time. And she had made some transitions in her career. And I was talking to her about, you know, being excited about the possibility of, of looking outside of higher ed. And she really encouraged me to do it. And it's funny because now Shannon is a friend of mine. Uh, and, and I owe a lot to her in the conversation that we had about giving me sort of the, giving me the excitement, giving me the confidence that yes, I could do this. And I owe a lot to her for that. I think she knows that, but in case she doesn't, she's hearing that for the first time now. But I left higher education in 2015 and I went to work for what was then a startup in the Pacific Northwest. I had been to Portland, Oregon once in my life and said I would never ever return there because it was cold and rainy. But here I was moving to Portland, Oregon in November of 2015. And I remember when I, when I showed up to Oregon to look for a place to live, it was pouring down rain and there's lots of bridges in Portland. And I thought there's no way I'm going to survive here. Full disclosure, I have a, a little bit of a weird fear of bridges and driving over them. Uh, but I went to work for this startup. did not know that. No, I, I have a recurring nightmare that I'm going to drive off the edge of an uncompleted bridge. And so oh I, I know if I drive over, <laughs> over real bridges, I, I feel like I'm going to be in my nightmare. But anyway, <laughs> I, I went to work in Portland and I was employee number like 140-ish, 150-ish. We're now at 1,800 employees and we continue to grow. So we're not really a startup anymore. But I started as the first person to focus on employee onboarding and training, reporting up through human resources, who at the time had like two people. The HR team was like three of us. I wrote the initial curriculum for sales team members coming on. So what was what is now considered sales enablement and built live and online courses for our employees. I added a learning management system to our tech stack. Uh, so all these things that um, you know were, were part and parcel to training I was doing. Four months into it, I didn't think that I was doing good. I didn't think that I could survive this. I had that imposter syndrome that I know a lot of you listening feel you might have as well. And I left. I left for a week to go back to higher education. And I then had a conversation with my CEO and you know, full transparency, who is a former student of mine. And we made the decision for me to come back a week after that. And which I wouldn't necessarily recommend leaving for only a week and then coming back. It was a little bit of a slight probably to the folks that I, that I went to work for, but the imposter syndrome really got to me. When I came back to the, the, the startup company, I, I worked with the CEO. I sat down with him and we had some conversations and uh, customer integrations and implementations. 100% out of the wheelhouse that I would have ever thought I would be in uh, back in you know, 25, early 2015. Uh, I'd never heard the word Salesforce, let alone thinking that it was something that I would be working on or working in on a daily basis. 
it's uh, never thought I would, I didn't even know what that was. And, and you know, now I, I refer to it a, not only daily uh, and log in several times a day, but I even require people to have Salesforce certifications to apply for jobs in my shop. So uh, that's where I am today. <laughs> Well, um, that's that's really great to hear. You know, I think it'll resonate with folks that there was this period of not being sure, so that you tested the waters and then you came back. I also think it's great to note how you did learn of this position. I mean, broadly, I'd love to know what strategies you used to sort of get out of campus-based positions. But I think it's important to you. So you mentioned your that your CEO is your former student and. We should just emphasize that you really should think about the network of people that you know, and you have to think out of the box. I mean, it, this is especially if you're just looking to do something different. So anyway, wanted to acknowledge that and how you ended up working for your former student, who is very, very successful. But what other strategies did you use for your pivot? Yeah, I remember when I first decided to, or when the CEO of the company that I worked for, you know, he and I were having conversations and several folks at the company were like, is it weird that you work for your former student? And I, I was like, no, not at all. Like he's, he was one of the students that I, you know, not to sound fatherly, but absolutely adored when he was an undergraduate student. And particularly in the beginning, it felt like we were, we were working to build the company. I wasn't the CEO. I was a director of, of education, but I felt like the things that I was doing was helping the company be successful. And I still feel that way. And I think he feels that way about me uh, as well. But you know, it was really hard. And, you know, as I mentioned, the first four months, I wondered, goodness gracious, did I do the right thing? I missed the students. I missed the life that I knew. I was uncomfortable because I didn't know how to talk about sales. I didn't know how to talk about IT. And it was hard for my brain to even learn it. Uh, you know, my brain was so conditioned in what I had learned in higher education, not the role, but the, but the, but the courses, that the, the sales world and the IT world were just completely different. And so, in higher education, I knew the talk. I could quote student development theories from memory and probably still can, which is sad. But what That's happened- Vector one. <laughs> yeah, maybe not that in depth. Um, I know who Chickering is, let's put it that way. But what happened for me was two things. So one, like I said, I, I sat down and had a great conversation with the CEO about what I was missing. And we determined a pathway for me to get that as a part of my role. So I missed the mentoring. I missed- I miss working with quote unquote students. And so we figured out ways that I was going to get to mentor our new employees and folks in our research department so that I, I felt like I was having that piece of what I, what I was getting in, or what I had in higher education. And the second thing is I started to make a mental shift. You know, I realized that what I loved in higher, higher education was what I call those light bulb moments. And seeing students learn and get something and, and watching it click was what I, what I, what I really enjoyed, it wasn't the event planning. It wasn't the getting to work at four o'clock in the morning to, you know, staying there till 10 o'clock at night. It wasn't the pushing of, of, you know, applications for, you know, the orientation sessions. It was watching a student create their schedule for the first time and realize that they were going to be okay, that they were going to be able to do that for the next eight semesters. Talking with parents about what it was like to so, you know, let their firstborn go off to college and, and what, what, what was going to happen at home. Those were the things that I loved, but I could do that in my new role. So I started to do what I do best. I designed curriculum for our team and not just on their job, which was certainly something I was doing, but on leadership and on management and on supervision, you name it. I was doing a presentation on Quest at a tech company because that's what I knew 
And I could translate that over to the work that we were doing. I started our first leadership academy. I started our first management academy. I found ways to relate what I was doing to what I had done. I even started to think of Salesforce, the, you know, the CRM, in a similar way to how we think about student information systems so that I could have my brain make the connections. And once I started doing that, things became a little bit more understandable and I could talk the language and I could walk the walk and I became more confident in my own shoes. That's great. That makes a lot of sense. And I think will resonate with folks if they have moved out and are feeling unsettled. I know for the first six months, I was like, yeah, no, I need to go back to a campus-based position. Interestingly, I couldn't pin it down to why. I just was like, this just just doesn't feel right. Like I, you know, and I think it is, It's, it's, it's a different feeling. It's a different dynamic. The job was different. Um, all of the things. And I was working from, from home, which was different too. I remember, so, I mean, real quick, I remember the first time I showed up at my new company and it was in a, it was in a, you know, a commercial building, you know, it had eight floors and uh, an elevator that I took to get to, or I'm sorry, it had 10 floors and I took the elevator to the ninth floor, which is where our headquarters were. And I remember in, even in that moment going, okay, this is, this is weird. Like this is different because I was so used to walking through a college campus and walking through a student union and a, and a beautiful green space. And, you know, these, these buildings that had been, you know, there for, for hundreds of years. And suddenly I was going up a commercial real estate building and, and that was hard. And, and I had to start to make those mind shift adjustments. And when I did that is when I became successful. And when I realized that I wasn't an imposter anymore. That makes sense. So much, so much, so many things are unfamiliar that we just don't even realize, even to to some extent, till we reflect in conversations like these. Well, as you were, you know, making or thinking about this pivot, what were ways that you or things that you and you use to envision and or document how your skills do transfer and sort of how do you, how did you move through that imposter syndrome feeling? Yeah, and, and you'll hear me talk about this throughout the series, this particularly this season, is the transfer transfer of your skills, the transferability of your skills is there. You just have to know how to talk about it. My CEO says a lot to me, quote unquote, I don't care about the theory. I, I put together a, a big uh, leadership retreat about a month before we all got sent into quarantine. And I presented sort of the outline and the agenda for what we're going to do with the theoretical constructs of why we were doing it. And he's like, I don't care about this. Like, don't focus on this. And, and in reality, he shouldn't have to focus on that. That was my job. I should be focused on that, but I don't need necessarily need to sell that. So what I did was start figuring out how to apply what I knew and what I was doing, but using the jargon that my new peers were using. It was no longer about what I did, but it was about how did we measure what I did success? How do we document it? How do we grow it? And how do we replicate it? One of my biggest frustrations that I'm sure if my CEO is listening, he'll, he'll chuckle at this is when we're in a meeting presenting our monthly, our monthly review, and I talk about how something went well. And he's like, well, why did it go well? That was never a question I got in higher education. It was usually like, why didn't it go well? Well, now he wants to know mm-hmm. why it went well, because we want to replicate it. Yeah. So I learned how to talk about that. I learned that the world of corporate is much more in tune with metrics, much more in tune with, you know, as you mentioned in your host episode, KPIs and OKRs, and we call them MBOs or measurements by objective. And assessment at a corporation or a company is, they typically have it together. They know how to, to measure 
the success of their business, whether it's financial results or whether an end user is using a platform feature in a certain way. You know, we talk about assessment a lot in higher education, but I'm not really ever sure I, I knew what assessment really was until I moved to a, to, a, to a company. I learned quickly how to show that. I became a numbers person. I mean, I was always a numbers person, but now I was really a numbers person. I, I meet every week with my direct reports to go over our numbers. Interestingly enough, like, you know, as the director of orientation, I, I presented annually about how many people attended orientation and year over year growth and the impact of enrollment, you know, on enrollment and attention. Uh, I'm sorry, enrollment and retention, but I never really thought about it in terms of how that can be transferred out of higher education because I didn't talk about it that way. I talked about, I planned orientation, but really I planned orientation and I made sure that, you know, 3,000 students went through it year over year and that it had an impact on, on retention. And so now when I talk about what I did as the director of orientation, I don't talk about planning new, new student programs or spirit rallies. I talk about that I grew attendance year over year. I talk about that that had a correlation or a causation to enrollment in their first year. I talk about how it increased retention percentages uh, because that's the type of language that we're using in, in corporate. And I just needed to use those same skills and those same, and that, that new terminology in my new world. Yeah, a real focus on outcomes as opposed to process or input, right? Right. That's what folks folks want to see. Makes a lot of sense. Well, and, and, and to some extent, that's that's one of the big shifts that we have to do with our resume, right? And and we'll talk mm -hmm. about this in one of our practical pivot sessions. Is yep. My resume was a bullet point after bullet point of all the things that I did, but not all the things that like we were successful at. You know, it, it literally would say like I oriented students at a college campus. Well, now it says what that growth was and what the yeah. outcome was of that orientation program. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be a topic that folks are going to be interested in as they think about adjusting their resumes and cover letters. So not to get to that early, though. So now back to you, what what do you really like about and you can choose the order you respond to these, but wondering what do you really like about not being in a campus based role and what do you miss? Yeah, uh, it's funny. I remember Right after I had taken the job at the company I'm at now, I, I volunteered for our alumni association and I went to a, um, a it was called a Sun Devil send off. So it was the, you know, the new students coming from the Portland area about ready to go to ASU. And I was there and I remember thinking, my goodness, this is what I miss. I miss the students. Y'all are going to hear this from probably every single one of our, uh, our guests this season, the students, the students, the students. And it's funny because I say now, when people ask me, what do I like most about where I work? I say the, the people, the people, the people. It's, it's no different. But, you know, I miss the students. I miss the campus environment. I loved when I needed a five-minute break. You know, now I walk around our building, but I could go out and walk around a college campus. And there's nothing like the energy that a college campus has. Students going from class to class or watching students, uh, you know, in a study group or you know, on Friday at noon, the comedy troupe was in the student union. Those are things that you just take for granted when you're on a college campus. I would also say the thing that I took for granted was the option, the food options on a college campus. When I was, on, <laughs> when I was a student, I complained nonstop about the food at a college campus. Now that I am in a, in a commercial real estate building, 
I have to walk everywhere to get lunch. It's not just right across the way at, at the student union. And there's not like a Taco Bell and a Subway and Pizza Hut and all the different things. So I miss that. You know, as somebody who was a student athlete and who loved homecoming and student traditions, I miss football season. You know, I was a diehard Sun Devil. I am a diehard Trojan. The only time that I don't cheer, cheer for the Trojans are when they're playing uh, the Sun Devils. Saturday is still my favorite day in the fall because I love football season. And when I worked on a college campus, I got to go to every football game. And in many instances, I got to work them. And, and although it was tiring, I loved it. I loved the opening of a new year and the energy that came from that. Uh, even if it was hard work and it was 120 degrees in Tempe, Arizona, and we were putting up you know, balloon arches from one end of the campus to the other, I loved it because it was just, it was a, you could just feel the excitement. It was palpable in the air. And I miss that. And I will say there's one other thing that I miss, and some of you might resonate with this, is I miss the conferences. You know, I don't get to go to the same types of conferences now. The conferences that I go to now, although I haven't been to one in a while since COVID, you know, they're, they're much more product-based. I'm going to, a, you know, a, a conference that's hosted by a product that I've, I've purchased for my company or, or whatnot. And so I, I had the opportunity to chair the NODA conference. For those of you who don't work in student affairs, that's the orientation director's conference every year. I had the opportunity to share that in 2014. And uh, I loved it. You know, there's a, there's a sense of camaraderie when you bring together everybody that's working orientation on a college campus, whether it's a, you know, a four-year university or a two-year community college or whatever the case may be, you pull them all together in one location and there's just a camaraderie, a sense of like, yeah, I know what you do and I feel that. And so I miss that. And so every year during conference seasons, I have serious FOMO. I see my colleagues posting, going to NASPER, pictures having gone to NODA. And I literally have that minute, that, that moment of, oh, I miss you all. Not enough to necessarily <laughs> return, but I, I definitely miss that. <laughs> yes. You know, on the flip side, the things that I, I love about my role, and, and let me just be clear, I, I would not trade what I do for the world. I, I work at a company that the values really speak to me. The people are phenomenal. They're all hardworking. And, you know, this is going to sound a little brown nosy. I, I absolutely adore my CEO and partly because I've known him since he was 20, but watching him grow this company from, you know, putting the, putting the initial expenses on a credit card when he was a, in law school to today um, and being just a little part of that has been fun. It's been exciting. It's been so rewarding. I love the pace. It's super fast. And, and I warn each and every one of you who is looking to make the jump, moving outside of higher education, it is going to be a faster, faster pace than you've ever experienced before. But I like that. You know, like I, I said, I've said before, I make decisions on a Monday morning and we implement them before lunch. And that certainly never happened at the university level that I was at. Although I tried and I probably even stuck in a few of those things over time. Uh, it was not, it was not on the regular. I, I will caution folks here. You know, a lot of us in higher education complained about the long hours and the lack of weekends. I work a lot now too, and partly because of the role that I'm in. Uh, you know, I am a I am a vice president at, at the company that I'm at, um, and so by nature of the beast, I'm, I'm on call, and I work a lot. But it's a different type of work. You know, I'm not going to campus to do student events or to work a football game. I'm not giving up. You know, the time to drive back and forth, etc. You know, I work on weekends on things that I know will impact our customers. You know, I spend a lot of time during the work week in meetings and on weekends, I'm sort of catching up on, on the, the to-do list items, currently working on three punch lists for three different products and trying to make sure that I'm balancing all of them. So I know a lot of folks think, oh, I'll leave higher education, I'll suddenly have my life back. That's not necessarily the case, 
I don't mind that work. You know, I'm, I'm single. I don't have, I don't have children. And so it's easier for me to do that, but I, I want to make sure that folks know, like, you know, the, there's, there's definitely elements of moving that the grass is greener, but at the same token, there's elements that it's just as brown. And you have to sort of figure that piece out as you go through the process of selecting where you want to go. As Jamie said on her hostful episode, you know, if you want to go to the jungle type work, probably going to be committing a lot more hours. If you're going to a company that, that's already a highway or a freeway or, or maybe even, you know, a, um, a toll road, uh, it, it might be a little bit easier and you might get a little bit more of that balance. So you have to figure out what is good for you. I like working sort of nonstop because what I do is super passionate about. So it's really a, a choice that you have to make. Yeah, I think you make a really good point, Tom. I mean, I, I too still work on the weekends and I worked when we were in Hawaii on vacation, but I was reflecting on it as you were talking and, and by and large, it's by choice. Like I, I feel a sense of ownership, like it's an opportunity to get to work on something to advance something within the organization. So it is a little bit different or just obligation. It's like my unit and I know someone else could help solve this problem for X, Y, Z, but you know, I'd rather just have the opportunity to, to do it and support folks. So it does, it is a bit different. I, I, so I would say to think about the, t- the length of, t- of time, sort of ha- the maturity of the organization, but also the role that you would play. So if, if you expect to want to ascend up to an upper level leadership position, you're, you're still in an upper level leadership position with a lot of responsibility. So there is going to be more expectations in that, in that realm. Well, and I, I view a lot of what I do, you know, in my role, and I hope my colleagues would say this about me as, as, as sort of the, the brick wall buster, you know, uh, when, when they run into a brick wall, it's my job to sort of try to tear that down for them so that they can get their jobs done. You know, I don't want my my individual contributors that that work in the org that I that I oversee to ever feel like there's a brick wall for them that I didn't try to help them break down. And that means a little bit of extra work sometimes because I still have my day job, right? I still have all the tasky stuff that I need to do. But you combine that with the leadership and the supervision. And my department's large. I have about 100 people in my department, which in some cases is like a student affairs unit, right? And my job is is you know, when we say a lot of people don't want to, you know, a lot of people talk about wanting to move into leadership positions and supervision positions. That's, it's hard. Leadership and supervision is the hardest thing that I've ever done, whether it was mm-hmm. a higher education or, or in the company I'm at now. And it requires the most amount of my time, but it also doesn't negate the fact that I still have tasks that I have to do. If I'm spending, you know, a lot of my time with the supervision and the leadership piece, which truly I love, I love the, the mentorship and the impact. I still have to get the, get the stuff done that, that my boss needs me to get done in order to roll yeah. out a new product or write a new curriculum or whatever the case may be. That's true. And I think it's also, I think what's great about thinking about leaving campus-based positions though, is that there is such a diversity of different types of roles within companies that people can pursue that it gives you the opportunity to really think about like, do I really want to manage people? Maybe I'd rather manage products. Maybe that actually sits better. Or maybe I'd really like to be a project manager. So I'm I'm still feeling regularly challenged and I still have a 
leadership role in some, but you're not necessarily managing large teams of people. And I don't know that we really see that as much in in higher ed, in campus-based positions. It always just seemed to feel like you were, uh, you know, if you wanted to do something different or move up or be challenged, it meant supervising people and not doing more of what else you wanted to do. So just bringing that up for folks to, to think about that in corporate context, there's just so many different realms that you can pursue. All right. So with that, actually, Tom, we would love to know what is next for you. Maybe you have more clarity than I do. I'm like, I'm pretty happy. I'll probably just hang out here. But what do you see next? And then any additional advice? I mean, I know we'll be giving it throughout the season, but any additional advice you'd offer people as they're specifically thinking of pivoting out of campus-based positions? Yeah, so Jamie, I loved uh, when we talked about this on your hostful episode and your response was, you know, it's unclear. And I, I love that. Uh, it's, it's important to be open. If, you, if we're sort of clear in what's the next step, which I was in higher education, right? The next step was assistant dean, dean, associate vice president. The blinders were then on because that's all that I was focused on. And you know, when I took those blinders off is when I wound up pivoting out of, out of education, but I'm currently a vice president and I love where I am. I love what I do. I love the company I work for. And I know that sounds, you know, again, like, oh, he's just, he's just towing the line, but it's so true. I get to get up every morning and do something that I am really excited about. And I get to do it with people that I absolutely adore. You know, I've been working with some of the same people since I started on day one. And while we've grown, you know, one of my directors actually was there before I was, and I absolutely love what I do. For me, it's no longer about moving up. I'm not going to be a CEO someday. I'm not starting my own business. Um, I love folks that do that, but that is not something that is in my wheelhouse. It's also not about moving companies. You know, I, I enjoy what I do and I enjoy where I'm doing it and we're growing and expanding. And as long as that continues to happen, it continues to challenge me. You know, my CEO says quite a bit, like, what are you doing or what are you not doing that's preventing you from being best in class? Or what are you doing that's preventing you from being best in class? So every day I wake up with a singular focus of what is not best in class in my organization and how can I make it best in class? And it may not be that I get to make that happen overnight, but I'm certainly going to put things in place to get them there. So for me, the next step is really continuously innovating in my current role. You know, as we roll out new products, as we roll out new processes, as I continue to build and iterate the teams that report up to me, you know, asking myself, what can I do every single day that will have an impact on our customers and their success? Uh, I have a sticky note on my laptop that, that that's what it, it says that. It's like, are you doing the best you can do? And I ask myself that in every situation that I'm, that I'm, that I'm in for the work that I do. So who knows? You know, I'm, I'm, I may retire at this, at this company. So, and, and, <laughs> Uh, my CEO is probably laughing when I say that because he's probably thinking, I don't think so. But, you know, I love it here and uh, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. The advice that I have, you know, I shared this with a couple of folks who've reached out individually is, you know, when we're in student affairs, the thing that we hate is when people refer to the university as a business, right? Like we hate that. And our students hate hearing that too. But guess what? The university is a business. You know, it, it's it, in order for everybody in student affairs to get paid, there's got to be money coming in somewhere, right? And so think about it as a business. 
Student affairs may not be the business center of, of the university, but there are a lot of different areas that are business-like. Human resources, financial services, auxiliary services, you name it. There's like, when I worked at USC, there was a whole building dedicated to the construction team because we were building buildings every three minutes. If you're interested in those types of areas, guess what? You don't have to leave higher education to get some experience in those. I have a colleague back in Texas who left her position in student development to go be a learning and development, take a learning and development position in human resources. It's a great sort of next step to, to gain that experience. And whether you, whether you decide to go shadow somebody, make the connection, or take the leap of faith and go work in that, it's a good next step because you still get the protection of the university bubble, but you get some different experiences. I would also say, remember that your resume is no longer a list of everything you're responsible for. You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's now a list of the impacts that you've made. If you were in admissions, what was your year over year growth for enrollment? If you were in student affairs, what are the results of the learning outcomes you set for the departments? If you tell me on your resume that you are responsible for campus activities, I don't want to know that you put on four activities a year. I want to know how many students attended those activities and what was the takeaway from those activities. That's how you're going to get in the door, at least working for me and probably working for folks like me. And finally, and Jamie said this too, and so I'm going to reiterate it, build your network. Clean up your LinkedIn, make sure that it's really well polished because I guarantee you, if you're interviewing for a job at my company, we're going to look at your LinkedIn profile and we're going to see, you know, what you did, where you did it, what you accomplished, et cetera. So really look at your LinkedIn profile and clean it up and make sure that it's, it, it speaks to what you want to do, not what you've always done. Get that LinkedIn profile in a good place. Use LinkedIn to join groups. You know, Jamie in her hostful episode talked about the Clubhouse app that she's joined. You can join that. You can join groups on LinkedIn, whatever the case may be. You know, just like we did in higher education, we have to be able to talk the talk. I went to NOTA and NASPA in higher education. Well, I've moved on. So I've now got to go to those types of learning exercises because I've got to learn the lingo. You can't expect to get a job as a customer success manager or a sales manager, an account manager, if you have no idea the language that they use in that role, because it will come across really quickly that you're not ready to make that jump. So find somebody who's a CSM if you wanna be a CSM. Find somebody who's in corporate L&D if you wanna be in corporate L&D and find out what they do, how they do it and how they talk about it. And that'll help you sort of figure out how to talk about your skills in a similar way. Well, jam-packed full of great insight into your own experiences and also just lots of great nuggets I think for people to to take away and I actually made some notes too about future episodes we might want to focus in on to help folks um, especially just think about the different avenues that they could transfer their skills to I feel like we could have an episode just on that but I have always appreciated learning from you, Tom. A lot of the times I remember like when I oversaw orientation, you were, you had already been doing it for years. And I was like, Hey, do you have any resources you can share with me? And you've always been so gracious to share them. And everything that you've done is just so incredibly well-documented that by far that has helped me be a better leader in my organizations. And so I have very much appreciated that. And I know too that you've already had some really, really good conversations with folks that were looking to make the pivot out of EDU. You just care about giving back and to supporting people. And I felt like you've always done that with me as well. So 
thank you so much for sharing your experiences and for being willing to do this podcast to, as really to your point, I know that you shared in our intro episode to give back. So thank you. And for everybody listening, thank you for spending time with us this week, learning all about Tom. He didn't share that he has memorized the dance, the full dance routine to Bye 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 by Sync. I mean, there's a lot of things you didn't learn, but there's a lot you did learn. So thanks for hanging out and listening and be sure to tune in next week. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. We spend one third of our life at work. It should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.